From KLIN Radio and the Lincoln Independent Business Association, this is the Lincoln Business Beat, a weekly summary of news affecting area business and a review of interesting topics and issues. Along with LIBA President and CEO Bud Seinhorst, I'm Mark Vail. Glad to have you joining us. Lincoln Business Beat is made possible by Currency. Learn more at GoCurrency.com. Bud, we've talked about it before, but uh, again, uh, the issue of affordable housing in the area has come up. Uh, There was an interesting editorial in the Journal Star on uh, the uh, affordable housing issue. covered a wide variety of of issues. Um, Kind of boil it down. Well, I think what I, the takeaway from this article, and I think is great that we're able to have the conversation, is, you know, there's a lot of talk at the city level, and you hear a lot of local politicians talking about we got to do more for affordable housing here in Lincoln, and now we've got the intersection of government regulation and affordable housing, and we've talked a lot about the floodplain drainage criteria, all that kind of thing. And how that impacts, and, and and that's really, I think, where the Journal Star was trying to, to go with this, is it's hard to put in place policies like this when affordable housing is the goal. Because what it's done is it's, it's, it's increased the cost of development. If we want to redevelop homes in different places in different parts of town, then it com- becomes, you know, less less we're less able to do it just because of these regulations and so i think that's kind of the thing they were talking about they talked about some business codes and those getting updated and you know every time you change the codes for building (laughs) it changes what we have to do when we refurbish a place or build a new place and all those kind of things so it has an impact and and ultimately the end user is the one's going to pay that's just Plain and simple, how it's going to go. Well, and and mo- the most recent uh, issue was this floodplain map, and it's got a better, uh, more definitive name, but that's what we've referred to it. And there's just no way of getting around it. The adoption of the new floodplain maps and and all of the criteria that goes goes with it is going to make development or redevelopment or even rehabbing in that area much more uh, cost effective. So. To have affordable housing in that area now is really unaffordable. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, that's one of the drums that I've really beat over the years is we we always use the term affordable housing. And I think we need to talk about the affordability of housing because, you know, what people deem as affordable, but you've got all the other things that happen. You've got electricity, you've got all these other things that that, that go into it. And so um, one of the things I thought was interesting is uh, they talked about in this article about government grants for low income housing, you know, for 12 or 40 or 50 units a year. And our population is growing three to 4,000 people a year. Well, you know, I'm not a mathematician or a statistician. Those numbers don't line up. And so at some point we've got to figure out what we can do and, you know, I I believe in markets, and I believe in letting markets do things and make it happen. And we got to let the market take take place and figure it out. But we got to let government get out of the way. Well, in government, uh, historically, government was uh, a benefactor when new developments came into an area, and as a result, uh, they knew they were going to get more uh, taxes. And and as the city grew, so they would take care of the streets, the utilities. That was all part of the growth process. That's changed in recent years, and now that those costs 
are going to the developer, ultimately to the owner of either the home or the business property. Um, and so the, they've kind of shifted those costs away from, uh, well, not on just shifted, they've actually transferred all yeah. of that from the purview that used to be the responsibility of a city or a, an entity, a uh, corporate entity. Yeah, well, and we're going to have uh, Councilman Richard McGinnis in later on our deep dive today. Hopefully we can get him to talk a little bit about that too. And it's, 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 interest, it's ironic, I'll say, because we always hear government entities talk about unfunded mandates, and they get frustrated when the state says, you have to do this, local, county, city, whatever, political subdivision, and, and we've done the same thing here. So when it comes to things like water and sewer and streets and street lights and all those things, the city used to be the one forward thinking to put those out there so that we could grow the city. And now the city's pushed that all on developers, which means the developers aren't the one paying it, right? I mean, at Hold the on. end of the day, it's the homeowner or whoever puts up that apartment building and they're going to charge it on to their renters. So. You know, I think we have to have a different mindset at the city in order to figure out ways that we can grow. And you know me, I've talked about growth mindset with the South Beltway. And it's not just that. We have to think about growth and what we can do to be more amenable to development. Legislatures uh, in uh, high gear with uh, hearings uh, this past week. And, oh, and, good and, grief. And, and I mean... We've been trying to track them in the newsroom, and it's just almost impossible to, to keep you track to, of all You need of them. to, like, quintuple your newsroom staff to try to cover we, we it We need all. to quadruple <laughs> our computer systems just to, uh, to get them, uh, all, everything covered. Uh, but Senator Breezy uh, came through with a couple of bills, and I think you've got the, the details on those. One of them was uh, 589, one was 249. I'll let you take whichever one you want. Well, we'll start with 249 because Senator Breezy brought a bill about um, basically a ho- not affordable housing, workforce housing in our rural communities. And it was to try to um, build 35,000 affordable and workforce houses around the state because one of the things we see in our rural communities is, uh, you know, it's hard to... When you bring in new people, it's hard to find uh, housing in some of those communities and really need to make that investment. And he's trying to get the state to put in, um, you know, between a million and five million over a two year period in order to try to help kind of expedite that growth and, and provide that. And I actually sat through the hearing earlier this week. I've spent a little time at the legislature. They haven't forwarded my mail there yet, but I'm pretty close. Um, <laughs> and just I, wait till they start charging your rent. <laughs> exactly. Well, they pay. Sometimes you got to pay for parking, which is almost like rent. Um, but the 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 testimony that came, and I think that's one of the things that I love about the legislature is you can watch the the testimony. You can watch on on uh, through NPR, Nebraska Public Media. And they were talking about some of these rural communities and they hire new uh, people to come in and work maybe in their hospitals or local businesses and they can't find housing. Um, There's one example, a hospital administrator, I think it was in Central City, has a family of five and they couldn't find anything but a two bedroom house. So now the administrator is there and they're building a house 
and a family can't move up until they get a house built. You know, that's disruptive for families, and it's hard when people come to communities. So it, I think it's a great bill. I think it's really a good investment. And, and I would say, you know, uh, we need that good workforce housing in Lincoln and Omaha and other areas as well. I'm not trying to take away from the bill. I think it started a great conversation. Well, and when you take into consideration the, uh, the pushes that are underway in the development of broadband into rural areas, these t- situations, nice to see kind of a tandem track here on this because as more and more access to broadband in rural areas is developed and actually implemented, this uh, housing situation is not going to get any better. It'll probably get a little worse before it gets better. Correct. And one of the things we always talk about every 10 years when the census comes out is, well, <laughs> is Nebraska getting bigger or is it getting smaller? And when we make these investments across the state, I think it's important that we're able to make that investment so that we can attract people to Nebraska, period. Another bill that Senator Breezy uh, introduced, and I believe he did this one at the request of the governor, is 589, and that's one of the primary things that uh, Governor Pillen even talked to us about uh, one of his big goals on when he was our guest here on Lincoln Business Beat was uh, the tax situation, and he's he's really coming out strong on several issues, and 589 was one of the, the, the ways that uh, he's getting this in front of the unicameral. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, one of the things that, that impressed me about Governor Pillen was between the election and the time uh, that he took office, I mean, he had a lot going on. He had uh, department directors. He had a lot of institutional knowledge leaving. How are we going to fill those positions? But he really came out with a vision on taxes and what he's trying to accomplish. And without conversation with us, though, (laughs) 589 really hit on a priority we've talked about for years at LEBA, which is a soft cap on the money school districts receive for property taxes at 3%. And one of the, one of the, this, this uh, priority for us at LEBA has always been growth plus Midwest CPI. Uh, when it comes to property tax asking, because, um, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, those initial valuations did a nice uh, skyrocket off the launch pad recently when they announced it. And it helps the the taxpayer when those when those valuations jump like that, when you have these caps, it softens the blow on the taxpayer because of what they have to pay in their property. And this is uh, this goes to the actual tax dollars, not to levy rates. And levy rates and property valuations are so intricately tied. But that's where a lot of people get confused. And sometimes, I don't want to say there's subterfuge on it, but when you say, well, we're not raising the levy, um, that kind of sounds like, well, we're not raising your taxes. Well, they're not raising the levy, but your taxes are going to go up anyway. It's about the spin, right, Mark? Absolutely. In politics, it's always about the spin. And and that's one of the things, just to kind of clarify for our listeners, is the all the political subdivisions that, that receive property tax money do a property tax asking. And then the levy is set based on that. Well, some of these political subdivisions are very good at going, oh, well, if property values are going to go up by this much. We need to get to this number in a budget. And then it keeps that cap. So yeah, we didn't raise the tax levy is what you hear, 
Yet, if you look at your property tax statement year over year, you might be paying an extra $100, $200, $500, whatever it might be. So it's that asking amount that's kind of, I think, the key of this bill is it's a 3% over the asking from last year. So in just the basic terms, if you ask for a million dollars this year, you could only ask for 3% more next year, which would be, what, $30,000. And then the levy is set based on that asking amount. You're not just saying, oh, well, our levy limit is this and we're going to stay at that. So it helps soften that blow a little bit on the taxpayer. One of the provisions that's in that bill, though, would allow local taxpayers in these taxing districts to uh, override that. But it would take almost a super majority. I believe it's like, what? Over fifty percent. Yeah, they to... talked about seventy-five percent. I think they've gotten back to fifty or not fifty, seventy percent of the school board, the city council, the county board, in order to uh, override that. And you know, there's been some discussion: is that too much, or or what have you? You know, the legislature you need a two-thirds majority to override a veto on a uh, or uh, on the governor. So. You know, maybe that's where it lands. I don't know, but I think it's it's the conversation. I think I think we're going to see school districts, and I think we're going to finally see them come to the table and just have a good uh, discussion on it. Good yeah. discussion. Yeah. Good well, it's uh, it's been a busy week, and uh, what else do you get uh, watching just from a thirty thousand foot uh, bill? I know we've got. Uh, uh, medical marijuana that's still going to be uh, discussed. We've had the abortion hearing, no re, uh, um, Senator Albright's bill, uh, no indication of how that might come out of committee. So there's a lot of things happening as we speak, but there's things that are progressing on the budget, which is one of the primary things that this UNICAM, this session's got to... Yeah, that's their up. big constitutional duty as state senators. So we're really monitoring those bills around the budget, um, around uh, what's going to happen to business on taxes and regulations. So that's where we're really dialed in. Um, and, you know, we keep watching those. We're monitoring some bills um, that I think are just important to pay attention to. And we'll just kind of have to wait and, and see where that goes. And we'll go from there. You know, we've got, I think, the 21st, we're going to have our LIBA luncheon. We're going to talk about Water 2.0. That's a bill in the legislature. Senator Bostar's requested $200 million uh, from the state to help us with this second water source that we're talking in Lincoln. Uh, we're going to try to get Senator Wishard in here to talk about uh, her bill to uh, invest money into the convention center, which is a topic that we've uh, we've advocated for. So a lot of different things and how they impact businesses. That's That's where we'll be focused. And let's uh, just talk a quick second about uh, the Liba lunch, 21st. Uh, you said Water 2.0. Uh, who's going to be uh, bringing uh, the details? Uh, we've got people from LTU that's going to come in. Um, we invited Liz Elliott, and I think she might. it's going to be either Liz or one of her staff people that have been kind of leading that charge. So that that is a big project. That's a, a, what they're saying, 10 to 25 years before that actually would come to fruition. So this yeah. is a long-term thing, but this is the time when the discussions need to be real and need to be complete. And the investment needs to be made. I mean, we saw the with the South Beltway, that conversation happened for about 25 years, and finally we got to it. But 
I think we need to keep pushing and pushing and pushing on this issue to make sure we get it right. On our deep dive coming up, we're going to have a interesting chat with now outgoing City Councilman Richard McGinnis. Yeah, I'm I'm glad to see uh, Council McGinnis uh, come in and and talk. He's had a lot of service with uh, the school board. He's a lifelong Lincolnite. He's been on the city council. So I thought it'd be nice to get him in here and talk a little bit about those things. Do you need help finding reliable financing options for heavy machinery, trucks, or equipment for your business? Currency is here to help. Currency specializes in finding the most competitive financing options for construction equipment, farm equipment, farm machinery, trucks, trailers, and other big-ticket items. And whether you're replacing old machines or expanding your fleet, Currency makes it easy to get financing. It's secure and free to use, and it gives you a single point of contact for the entire process. Visit GoCurrency.com, fill out the application. Currency will automatically find a lender offering the best rates and terms. Currency is equipment financing made simple. Visit GoCurrency.com and apply today. Offers may vary and arranged by Express Tech Financing, LLC. Doing business as currency pursuant to CFL license 60DBO-54873. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Back at Lincoln Business Beat, our deep dive today. Councilman Richard McGinnis joins us on our podcast uh, this week. Bud, uh, you've known Richard a long, long time. Uh he actually represents me and because uh, I live in that district. So we've got a little something in common. Yeah, well, uh, Councilman McGinnis, as you saw earlier this week, uh, announced that he's not going to run for re-election. And I thought it'd be kind of nice to get the, the councilman in here and just talk a little bit about, you know, he's been a great uh, public servant to our community. He was on the school board uh, for LPS, and then he ran for the city council here four years ago. And uh, has decided he's not going to run again. So I thought we'd have him on and just talk a little bit about his service and some of those things. So welcome, Councilman McGinnis. Nice to have you on Lincoln Business Beat. You bet. Thank you, bud. Thank you, Mark. Uh, so first of all, uh, we'll talk a little bit about, so you sir, started out your service on the LPS board. Yes. And you talk a little bit about kind of your service on the board and some of the things that accomplishments or things you're proud of when you were a part of the LPS board? Well, I can go way back on a lot of that, but um, growing up, I lived in southeast part of town when Maxie School opened. Our kids were some of the first kids to go to Maxie in southeast Lincoln, and so I decided to get involved a little bit with the school, did a crazy thing, showed up at a PTO meeting, and they made me president of the parent-teacher organization. 
So it kind of morphed from they, there. They smelled blood in the water when you showed up, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so I ended up uh, feeling like it would be a good chance to give back and be part of uh, the community by giving back to the school. So I decided to run for school board, and the people in Lincoln elected me, and so I got on the school board and spent eight years working on the school board. So you did two terms on the school board. What are some of the, the takeaways? Let's talk about school board first. What are some of the t- kind of takeaways you had as you, you know, worked on the school board and worked through some different issues and some of the accomplishments maybe? Well, the school board is totally different than the city council. The school board, you're elected and you hire the staff. You hire the superintendent, and the superintendent does work for the school board. So you're more involved and you're updated more on everything that's going on. You're, you feel like you're a very vital part of the schools and policy and such that's going on. Um, schools were a lot of fun because, for me, actually, it was a lot of stuff behind the scenes that didn't make the news. Um, those type of things, you could do a lot of good work, and it was for the kids. You always saw a good outcome. When you were doing things for the public schools, you could, if you had a bad day, you would go walk into a school and it'd make you feel really good that what we're doing was, was the right thing. Great. So were you on the school board when Dr. Joel was hired then? Yes. So you were, so that's about what, 10, 12 years ago, maybe, Mm -hmm. uh, when that happened. So, um, and, and I think one of the things that I've always noticed about the school board is kind of how they work together. Talk a little bit about how you worked as a board together. Well, when I first got on there, a couple stories. One was somebody asked me about six months into it, how did I like working with the other party across the aisle? Some of my school board members, and I kind of had to stop and think and figure out which ones were not the same party as I was Mm -hmm. because that never came up. It was never, there was nothing that ever came up towards being a political party of one or the other but the other part of it was we kind of had an unwritten rule and i and i'll give kathy danick a lot of credit to this that you always made sure that everybody on the board knew what you were doing even if you didn't agree with it it was called no surprises and if you were going to bring something forward you would at least let everybody else know about it and we had no surprises so it made it a lot easier to work with everybody Great. And then uh, I think it was about, heck, probably exactly four years ago, you and I sat down and had a discussion. You said, I want to think I want to run for city council. And I think I might have said, really? (laughs) Are you sure? And um, and that was when Councilman Camp decided he wasn't going to run again. So talk a little bit about these last four years on the city council. You served during a very unique time as a council member. Yeah, that was probably the only disappointing thing when we about the last four years was the times we served, uh, you know, during the covid times where we were behind plexiglass. We had to call off meetings. It was very disruptive. We were working on other things other than good policy and the other part of that. And then when we had the Black Lives Matter and the George Floyd and we had a lot of disruption down at the city hall. And so we had long meetings and. It was kind of a it kind of wore on you a little bit after a while, but I'd been through that on the school board because when I was president of the school board, we had our purple penguin uh, episode, and we had six to eight hour meetings then, 
And so I was kind of used to that. And then then I became president of the city council. And guess what? Black Lives Matter. And we have six to eight hour meetings. And well, it sounds to me like uh, maybe Councilman McGinnis is prepped to run for legislature here next here soon, <laughs> since he's used to six or eight hour meetings and hearings and a lot of public comments. So uh, I'm sure Mrs. McGinnis is going to be calling me when she <laughs> listens to this. So, uh, but talk about. Um, I mean, the article in the paper, you talked about some of the reasons uh, that you decided not to run again. And, and talk a little bit about that, because I think there's you talked about the school board. And I think as you and I have talked and, you know, worked together over the years and then kind of the article that was in the paper, I think there's kind of a a little bit of a difference on how it works. So talk a little bit about that. Well, yeah. When I got on, I, I knew the, the the way the situation was. We have a strong mayor. And so the mayor really is the one that kind of uh, runs with legislation and bills and, and produces those type of things. But I knew that going into this, and I thought we could work together and work really hard. And, and we do, and we have over the years. Um, so that that's one thing. But it just got to a point where I kind of lost my enthusiasm, my desire, or I wasn't that excited to get in and get up in the morning and go into the city council as much as I had before. So it was more of that. I had decided, you know, probably middle of the summer or something that this was something that I wouldn't be pursuing. Excellent. So um, uh, talk about maybe a couple things that, you know, some policies maybe that that you were part of at the council that you feel like were really good for the city? Oh, there's some things. We worked hard on these, uh, and it's going to come back to us, on this housing and the sober housing and the disability and those type of things and, and see what we can do for that. That's something we haven't quite finished up on. Um, you know, just basic stuff. My The best part I liked about the city is I really enjoy doing infrastructure things, uh, roads, uh, bridges, double overpasses, <laughs> or double roundabouts, um, and purple so, lights. Purple lights, um, water and sewer. People don't realize that water and sewer drives the expansion of the city, and so um, there's a lot of that that I've really enjoyed in doing things, and and fire and police. Those type of things have been what I've enjoyed the most. Um, so. Obviously, people are going to start thinking about what should I do? Should I run for Councilman McGinnis's seat now that it's open and all of those kind of things? If somebody's thinking about running, what would you suggest to them? Or what would, if somebody called and said, Councilman McGinnis, my name is Mark Vale, because he lives in your district, I don't. And I'm thinking about running. Now Mrs. Vale's going to... I made the list today. I made Mrs. McGinnis's list and Mrs. Vale's list all in a matter of about five minutes. But what would you tell people um, about running for this seat and, and, and the demeanor and the things that they should try to be focused on? Well, number one, being a civil servant is so rewarding. I've gotten so much more out of it than in... Um, than I believe I put into it. Um, being able to help and, and be part of that is, is is a great reward. And if people are thinking about running, it is. It, it, it is something that I think most people should do in this town, especially if you're lifelong, you've got kids, you've got family here, you've got business here. 
you really need to step up at some point. And that's the way I was raised. When I was raised, everybody took their chance, turn on being uh, president of Rotary, being in charge of something. Everybody was involved to make the city better. And that's one thing that you look into. But being on the city council is, is really good. I There's more, you have more, I want to say, more latitude to do a lot of things. You're the final person who votes on laws and bills. So it's up to you to pass everything. The mayor doesn't get to pass anything. Uh, the department heads don't get to do anything until you vote on it. So it all has to come to the – so it's a very important job. Um, but, again, it's been really rewarding. And if anybody wants to do it, have them, feel free to call me. I would love to talk to them a little bit. Excellent. And then they can call Mrs. McGinnis, too, yeah. <laughs> and get the flip side of it. So, um, you know, you mentioned uh, – a little bit about affordable housing and there's been a lot of conversation about affordable housing uh here recently there was a a little bit in the journal star about that earlier this week um about we we have to get serious about how we address affordable housing and one of the issues that i know that you uh opposed was the we called it we just referred to it as the floodplain issue i think it's drainage criteria manual um, and, and, and just talk a little bit about how, you know, we talk about affordable housing and we talk about the drainage criteria ma- manual or criteria and how those, like those intersect. There's an intersection when we talk about those issues and talk about how you kind of work through those things. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons I was opposing the drainage criteria manual, uh, and voting on it right away was trying to figure out how this was going to affect certain landowners and or certain homeowners. And I don't think we did a good job of getting it out to the community, the full effect of what this new drainage criteria manual is going to do for affecting a lot of areas in town. And, you know, growing up here, everybody knows that, you know, the South Bottoms or the North Bottoms are some of our most, most affordable housing in the city. And the way I look at it and the way I analyze this is that those homes won't be able to be rebuilt. They won't be able to be updated. So we'll lose a lot of area down that way. And things like that. And the cost of developing new puts a lot new regulations on this. It's going to cost land is going to be a lot more expensive because you're going to have to have bigger drainage areas, less areas to build on. So if you go out and buy 20 acres on the edge of town, you want to put 20 lots there, you you may only be able to put 18 there. So you'll have to spread that cost out. That'd be a 10%, you know, addition. That is something that the city brought on forward that is not even a federal law. Yeah, that was the one of the things we've talked about here on the Lincoln Business Beat is, you know, there's the federal and and state recommendations on building in the floodplain and then we decided because we're in Lincoln and we're very special, we get to, you know, exceed that. And I think, you know, that was one of the things that that's frustrating as we talk about development and, you know, the cost of development and we've added a lot of costs and you work in that world. And you understand, you know, what it means when you're going to build property, whether it's commercial or, or residential. So how do we how do we move forward from this? I mean, what are what are some of the things that you think need to happen on this to try to make it better? Well, one, again, I the Lincoln Journal Stars editorial pretty much hit it on the head. It's, you know, um, cost by a thousand cuts. You know, they keep adding the regulation here, regulation there. 
you know me, I've been always been a small business person in the city and any regulations, you know, it's going to cost you more. So, you know, you're going to have to pass that on. And um, if we could just start looking at a lot of these regulations, I don't like the idea of adding more regulations and then deciding to throw more government money at it. You know, I've always been a market person. The market will take care of itself. Just get out of the way. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, you keep throwing, I like to say you keep throwing good money after bad, and um, I don't think government is ever the solution. Um, But it's really, it's been frustrating from our side of the table at LIBA because, you know, they talk about, well, we've got to do this, we've got to do this, we've got to do this. No, we don't have to do it. It's something that the administration and several council members have kind of been pushing an agenda. And so, you know, one of the things in that editorial talked about what they refer to it like as a cup of coffee here or, you know, here and there. Well, and I know in the past there's been the pizza, you know, it's just a pizza a month or cup of coffee. But these costs, it's not just the building cost, right? It's not just one cup of coffee. Pretty soon it's a pot of coffee. And then all of a sudden it's a whole coffee shop. Um, because of all the different costs that are affecting it. So talk a little bit about, you know, what's your recommendation as we move forward? Well, one, we need more supply. Again, I said I'm a supply and demand type guy. So we need more supply of housing. To get more supply of housing, we probably need to figure out ways to open up more ground. Um, And to do that, we need more sewer, water, uh, roads to open up some more of these lots, to, that which could drive down the price a little bit, but can only take it so far just because the cost of developing a lot is so high with a lot of the regulations that the city's put on those over the last 15, 20 years. I remember back when the city would build all the streets. The city would put in the street lights. The city would put in the sidewalks. They would put not in purple a, lights, street lights. Per- <laughs> <laughs> actual, and they would put in the water and the sewer and put it in the street. Well, as soon as they decided it was time for the developer or the lot owner who's buying it to put that in, they started adding more regulations. You have to, instead of having one water line down the middle of the street, now you have to have one for each side. You know, um, Little things like that start to cost and start driving up the cost of a lot of these. Correct. So, well, uh, Richard, I appreciate um, all that you've done in, in serving our community um, and, and, and not just as a member of the LPS board or the city council, but you're 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 what I would call a good advocate for the city of Lincoln. And we appreciate your service. Do you have any final thoughts as we wrap up here on public service? Yeah. No, Lincoln's such a great city and it's because people like to run and they like to run for the right idea. And I, I really would encourage for me to have people that live here and work here or own small businesses here or own businesses here to get involved. Uh, I hear that a lot of people are saying, I don't want to get in the middle of a campaign. I don't want to go through all this. It's not that hard. If I can do it and have you help me, bud, <laughs> we can, others can stumble their way through it. Despite one another, we helped get you elected, right? Yeah. Despite each other. <laughs> It's uh, been fun living in your district. We'll see. We'll see what happens going forward. Thanks for uh, your service. Well, thank you. Maybe you can take Mrs. Vale out for uh, dinner and see if uh, maybe she can convince Mr. Vale to run. <laughs> we got plenty of good restaurants in Southeast Lincoln. Yeah. We'll figure this out. Yes, we do. One in particular <laughs> that I spend a lot of time at. <laughs> thank you. 
That's our, our deep dive for this edition of Lincoln Business Beat from the Lincoln Independent Business Association and KLIN Radio. Reviewing and updating business owners and community members about what's happening in the business community in around Lincoln. Along with LIBA President and CEO Bud Seinhorst, our special guest, City Councilman uh, McGinnis, I'm Mark Fail. Lincoln Business Beat is made possible by Currency. Learn more at gocurrency.com.